Father, we do ask for your help this morning. Help me to speak clearly. Uh, Help us to listen well. Uh, We pray that you would help each of us to know how we might be able to respond to your word uh, with faith and obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're looking at an important topic. Uh, It comes in the next part of Mark's Gospel, uh, which I'm convinced is deeply relevant to every person here. Whether you're young or old, uh, Christian or not Christian, married or single or in between, what Jesus has to say about marriage and divorce affects all of us in many ways. It's relevant, it's complex, it's difficult, it's personal, it's spiritual and it's practical and it's life-changing. If you're taking notes, the big question I'm asking you this morning is, how does Jesus reshape our view of marriage? Point number one, beware of a low view of marriage. Point number two, champion a high view of marriage, followed by some implications for our church. Well, point number one, have Mark 10 open there in your Bibles. Uh, And in verse one, you'll see that we're told Jesus left that place, meaning Capernaum. Uh, If you remember last week, uh, if you've been with us during this series towards the end of chapter nine, Jesus spent time in a house with his disciples privately teaching them. And he was teaching them about what it means to be driven to serve and urging them to be drastic. Drastic about not causing others to sin and drastic about not sinning themselves. Well, notice quickly, just at the end of chapter 9, Jesus tells his disciples, last line, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Well, we had roast pork last night, which we don't normally have, and uh, Jess absolutely nailed the pork crackling which is a feat that I've never achieved. Uh, Mine has always been soggy if I've cooked at all. But the secret Jess tells me is to add lots of salt. Well, Jesus is telling his disciples be salty, not soggy, and they're to be different from those around them. They're to be marked by peace rather than rivalry with one another. They're to be the opposite of what we see or about to see the Pharisees be like in this very next scene. Well, Jesus moves on from here at the start of chapter 10, and he goes into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And I can tell you, roast pork was not on the menu here because Jesus has moved into very Jewish territory. And Mark tells us that the crowds of people came out to him, and what did Jesus do? He did what he's done time and time again. He taught them. But notice what happens next. In verse 2, a question is fired his way. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, notice that their question isn't for learning purposes. It's a test. And the same word could be translated test or tempt. Mark uses it back in chapter 1 for Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Well, I used to direct crew camps, HSC, year 12 study camps, 
and uh, for a number of years, and they were fantastic. We got nearly 200 Year 12 students. Uh, about 85% of them were not churchgoers. They weren't Christians. And we got to spend a week with them, helping them with their studies, helping them get through a very stressful period of their life, and sharing with them about the great news of Jesus Christ. And it was always an awesome week, telling them about Jesus, but there was always one night of the week that really made my heart race, and that was Q&A night. Sometimes it was a little bit more like a Year 12 student when they were handed a mic, took a pin out of a grenade and lobbed it our way in the panel, throwing it with a big smile on their face. Well, similarly, Pharisees pull out a pin and they throw the grenade over Jesus' way and they would like nothing more than for this grenade to blow up in his face. Well, what's their question about two things? The law and divorce. Why these two topics? Well, we do expect... Uh, something about the law. After all, these Pharisees, that's their area of expertise. But why divorce? Well, it could be that they've heard Jesus on this topic before, maybe his teaching of the crowds on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Perhaps they've worked out a good line of attack to go down. Or it could be that they know the crowd itself is divided on this issue and they're hoping to turn the crowd against him. But I suspect that there's another reason why they bring it up. And it traces back in Mark's Gospel to chapter 6, where someone else brought up the topic of divorce, John the Baptist, chapter 6, verse 18. He is arrested by Herod of Antipas, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And guess what? He lost his head for his outspoken view on that matter. Well, Jesus here is back in Herod's territory. Across the Jordan, verse 1, is a place called Perea, which belonged to Herod of Antipas' jurisdiction. So there's every chance that this is just another example of what Mark has been showing us, tracing right back to chapter 3, and even before then, Jesus had healed a man on a Sabbath. It was a matter of legality for the Pharisees, a law being broken. And Mark told us, verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, either way, whether that's the context or not, they're out to get him. And they don't ask a friendly question. Is it lawful? Well, Jesus sends the grenade right back their way. Verse 3, What did Moses command you? He replied, After all, they're the experts in the law. Verse 4, They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Notice Jesus asked about a command, but they answer him with a permission. They're referring to that same short Old Testament passage we heard read earlier from Deuteronomy 24. Just, if you've got a Bible there, open it up with me. Take a quick look because it is pretty key for understanding what's going on here. Deuteronomy chapter 24, look at verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, 
and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Now, just pause there. That is the key verse that these Pharisees are quoting back to Jesus. And it's also the rub of the issue as far as they're concerned, because they themselves, Pharisees, would have big debates about one particular ambiguity in one of the words in verse 1. What did indecent or improper mean? Well, one school of tradition of rabbis took a view that indecent means a form of being unchaste. And so it's a form of adultery or something along those lines. That is a ground for divorce. Whereas the other school of rabbis, they took a very loose view so that indecent could really mean anything trivial. I quote, it could be as trivial as, quote, a spoiling a meal for him. I was going to say getting the pork crackling wrong, but that won't apply here. (laughs) But another example a commentator gives is that a man could divorce his wife according to this tradition if he found that another woman was fairer than she. So someone better looking under this school of thought, that would be grounds for divorce, indecent. So you have these two views and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they want to know which side he falls on. Is it easy divorce? Does anything pass as a reason? Or is it hard divorce with a much narrower set of parameters? Which one is it? Well, verse 5. They don't expect his reply. It was because of your hearts. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. In other words, Jesus isn't denying the legality of what Moses put in place, but he points to the root of this law. And the root of this law is in their own sinful rebellion. In other words, the reason Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 exists was because of their hard-heartedness. It was essentially a concession law to Israel designed to discourage fast divorces, firstly requiring in a patriarchal society that a man give his reason in writing. Secondly, the whole point of this law was to safeguard, be a safeguard for women. And the command actually wasn't in verse 1 at all. It was further on in verse 4. Look at verses 2 to 4. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes a wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring upon, do not bring sin upon the land. The Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So what is forbidden is the last part. An Israelite woman is not to be tossed back and forth between men through remarriages and end up back with her original husband who divorced her. That's not to happen. Why? Because her second marriage defiles her. Which tells us something about how God views marriages. In other words, Moses puts a safeguard in place to protect women, but it is also a law to protect Israel from defiling themselves further still from their own sinful disobedience through the form of ongoing remarriages. It's a form of damage control in Deuteronomy 24. 
The Pharisees were using this verse as their go-to verse for divorce, but actually they're simply showing in this whole discussion that their view of marriage is far too low. They have, in fact, departed from the high view of marriage that God intends. They want to know, what are the lawful grounds for divorce? But Jesus wants to show them that in the process of that debate, they have lost sight completely of the meaning, the very true essence and intention for marriage altogether. You and I live in a culture where, sadly, that is exactly the same. Our society around us has lost touch completely with God's meaning and intention for marriage altogether. In Australia, one in three marriages end in divorce. 50,000 marriages, uh, couples who are married, file for divorce each year. One in five will marry more than once, and in Gladesville, one in ten are divorced or separated currently. Well, secondly, and much more briefly, point two, champion a high view of marriage. Notice how Jesus turns a low-view discussion about divorce into a discussion that champions a high view of marriage. Look at verse 6. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Even that is up for grabs in our society today. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Well, firstly, marriage is God's plan. It is between a man and a woman. If you have kids, teach them that it is between a man and a woman. God made two sexes, male and female. Secondly, quoting from Genesis 2, it involves a process of leaving a father and mother. Right where I'm standing here yesterday, some of you, and myself included, we watched two people belonging to this church from Evening Church, Maddie and Henry, and they walked down, Maddie walked down the aisle with her father, uh, Phil, and, and he gave her over to Henry to become a wheeler. Uh, sorry, I got that wrong. <laughs> Phil would like that. <laughs> no. I forgot his last name already. <laughs> Wheatley, thank you. To become a Wheatley. And thirdly, we're seeing in this passage that it involves a new creation. It was a lovely ceremony. And I tell you, after spending a week looking at all of the spectrum of evangelical views on divorce and all of the commentators and all of the rabbis' views, it was just refreshing to see two people with their families coming to make promises to one another to love and to hold fast to one another till death do them part. And what Jesus points out here as he quotes from Genesis 2 is what is going on in a marriage is a new creation. A lawful biblical marriage is two people becoming one flesh. And Jesus teaches that that's a profound unity. And it comes not by human creation, not by redefinition of marriage, it comes by a work of God. Verse 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The Pharisees in Mark 10 want to talk about the reasons for getting a divorce. Jesus is in the process of being on the way, predicting that he will suffer, die and rise again. And he is teaching his disciples who struggle with that concept. What do you mean, Lord? Peter says, rebukes Jesus at that idea. 
Uh, we saw last week that after Jesus predicted for the second time, his disciples get in an argument about who is the greatest. And in this chapter, as you look at it a little later in your growth groups, uh, Jesus for the third time will tell them the same thing. He's on the way to Jerusalem to suffer, be rejected, die and rise again. And what do they do? James and John come and play shotgun over who will sit next to him on his left and on his right. They're missing the whole point. And Jesus in chapter 10 gets to the discipleship and the details. And he goes for the three big ones. Marriage, and that comes up at the initiative of the Pharisees. Children, and then wealth and possessions. Three key areas in every person's life, whether married or not, every person is impacted by marriage, children, and wealth and possessions. And Jesus makes it an issue of entry as he goes on to the next paragraph into God's kingdom. Well, here, the main thing is that Jesus leaves their discussion by saying God has joined these two people together and the warning is no one should separate them. Well, finally, our scene ends. And you remember last week, Jesus also went into a house and taught his disciples. They were, they were trying to work out, why couldn't we drive out the demon? Well, here again, Jesus moves into a private indoor setting and in verse 10, Maybe like some of you two here today, they have lots of unanswered questions for Jesus. But notice how brief and straight Jesus is with them. At the end here, verse 11 and 12. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. In other words... Jesus champions to his disciples a very high view of marriage here. One where every time there is a divorce and remarriage, there is adultery. Because marriage is intended for life. And Jesus says this is true both of a man or of a woman, which would have been unheard of in that time. Regardless of who he is doing the divorcing or the remarrying, each is morally responsible. And at one level, We need to just let the weight of how Mark puts it hit us here. It is to have the intended blunt effect on us. Jesus calls for a radically high view of marriage by emphasizing the permanency of this marriage bond. God is radically for marriage. But having heard the main thing, It's also important, I think, to acknowledge and point to a few other significant and important passages in the Gospels and the New Testament. We won't go into detail on them, but let me just list them if you're writing notes. The key passages to look at on this issue are Matthew 5, verses 31 to 32, Matthew 19, particularly verses 8 and 9, and 1 Corinthians 7. We won't look at them in detail now. Uh, We might give a focus to them in sermon seasons this week instead. But briefly in Matthew, let me just mention one, one of those passages. Matthew 19, we read, and this is a parallel passage. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries a woman commits adultery. Here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus does permit divorce on the grounds of sexual morality. And secondly, the 1 Corinthians 7 passage, Paul gives a grounds for divorce and likely remarriage too. For the scenario where an unbelieving spouse 
abandons, deserts their Christian uh, husband or wife because of their Christian faith. And there's probably much more that could be said on both of the, or all of the, all three of those passages. But in our remaining time, I actually want to focus not on the exceptions, not on the many complex, and they are complex, scenarios that do come up in this whole area. Instead, I want to consider just a few practical considerations for us as a church in light of the radical way that Jesus reshapes our view of marriage here into one of total commitment. So here they are, briefly, seven practical implications for us. One, if you are married, remember your promises. You made them before God and you made them before others. And can I encourage you and urge you to work at your marriage? I gave a, a call uh, to someone in our parish who I won't name uh, on late this week, and she shared with me, as someone who has gone through a divorce and someone who was uh, sinned against quite awfully uh, through someone who repeatedly committed adultery against her for a long time. And one of the things that she said was, in this process of discovering and the shock and the betrayal and then the counselling and then the repeated times in which uh, he lied and it was discovered that he wasn't just with one woman but more, wo- more than one woman... But one of the things that she reflected on was there was a time, a long period in the lead up where not only had he checked out from marriage, but he checked out from church. And he checked out and and started to actually move their family around to other churches. And he didn't want to be in a growth group anymore because that meant accountability. That meant someone might actually hold him accountable to sin in his life. And what happened tragically uh, with this person was he actually ended, his really close friends ended up being those who weren't Christians, those who uh, he, he spent a lot of time biking with. And, and one of them said to him, you know what, mate, it comes down to what makes you happy, what makes you fulfilled, what, what, makes, what, makes, what makes you you. And that was it. That was the permission he took. That was the world's wisdom that he took on board that helped him to make a decision you know what i am going to forsake the the wife of my youth something that god tells us in malachi he he hates divorce not that he hates the divorcee but he hates the person who is he hates the faithlessness that is marked by divorce and what i asked for just advice practical advice what would you encourage to someone in a marriage where maybe there is a struggle going on and she just urged Be accountable to others. Be close enough in their lives. Go to church. Don't drift from church. Where else is anyone in the world going to tell you what Jesus tells us today? I can tell you it won't be watching maths midweek. It won't be a married at first sight view of marriage. It won't be a newspaper view of marriage where we celebrate divorce and see it as liberating. No. If you're a married person, we want to be for marriages at this church and we want to put on marriage enrichment courses and there are two dates that have been booked, one for term two, one for term three, in the hope that if you can't make this weekend, you can make that weekend and we will release those dates shortly. But in a sense, that's just one Saturday. What I want to encourage you is to do small things often, not big things occasionally, small things often as a married person to cultivate your marriage. And I'll just share briefly that that was hard for me this week. I had to, I, Jess said to me, 
I was very stressed about this sermon, actually, and, and she... <laughs> And she said, um, no, I, yeah, I want you to take the full day off that you said you'd take off with your family. And uh, that's what I did, and it was very hard. But that's a decision that you need to make when you're preaching on this topic. But, but you need to make it in the small ways that you communicate to your loved one that you, that you are putting them first. Number two, if you're married and you're really struggling, can I just say, don't give up and reach out to someone, whether that's someone here at church, here in your growth group, someone on the staff team. I've chatted to Mandy, and she has assured me that there is a list of recommended counsellors and psychologists. If your marriage is in a bad way, please reach out, and we would love to connect you with someone that can help. Number three, if you're in a relationship where there is domestic violence, do not stay. Separate. Separate that relationship for your safety and for the safety of the kids involved. And if you need to reach out to anyone here on staff at church, uh, there are signs in each of the bathrooms at church that speak about domestic violence and numbers that you can call. It is right to separate and not to stay where abuse is involved. In fact, it's an act of love to the abuser, and you should morally report them to the police as well. They need help and you need justice. Number four, if you're engaged thinking about getting married, please do a prepare course. Please prepare for marriage. It is a big decision. There's not a back door. Please spend... I, I, we have a number of people who do prepare and enrich courses here and I've been, I've been told by uh, someone who does it often uh, that the best way to do prepare and enrich is to do it six months out at least because that actually gives time to spend time talking about the significant issues that factor into a marriage. Number five, if you're single, you can be committed to marriage and not be married. I know that uh, that really should be a given, but what does that look like? It means particularly that you have a role. If you've been to a wedding ever, this is true for married or singles. We we actually as a congregation respond to say that we will pray for the person who got married. Uh, Often actually in a marriage, it's someone who's not in a marriage who we often share about our spouse, and the single person actually has a role to take the side of Jesus. And not just agree necessarily straight away, but actually to love the person enough to tell them, remind them what Jesus has said. Be invested in how they're going and recognize, I want to say especially, I spoke to another, not a a woman this time, a man who's been divorced in our church who was also, also went through a painful breakup where his uh, wife not only cheated on him, but also uh, left the faith in the process. And one of the things that he pointed out was actually the, being a divorcee is very difficult. And, and, and I just want to acknowledge that. And, and if anything I've said has been um, a painful, uh, I just want to apologize for that and say that we need to care for those who are divorced because they bear with them a hurt and a grief that's lifelong. And he just shared uh, briefly that actually it's, it's really hard to come to a church like Gladesville where there's lots of families and there's lots of kids playing about and actually it's the single person or potentially the spouse who spends time with them, not with their couple friends or at their house with their kids. It's actually a one-to-one relationship with someone else who just helps them to be comfortable with the new relationship that they find themselves in just as a single person. And, and to not, in his words, have it thrown in your face that you don't have what you used to have or what someone else has. 
Number six, to the divorced or remarried person. I want to say, if you have biblical grounds for a divorce, please do not be ashamed or looked down upon. We want you to be welcomed at church. And the same is true for the person who's divorced or remarried uh, who doesn't have biblical grounds. We want you to be welcome at this church as well. But in light of what Jesus has said, it is appropriate to own your sin. That if you did not have grounds for a biblical divorce, that's something to bring to God if you haven't already and to repent. And there may actually be some reparation that you need to do for your spouse that for whatever reason you divorced. 1 John tells us, confess your sin to God for he is faithful and just. Divorce is not an unforgivable sin. But it is a sin if it's not biblical. And number seven, I just want to end on the note of saying that we want to care for uh, particularly the person where marriage has broken down. And I, I asked this same person who's, uh, who shared with me just a few practical tips. How do you support a divorced person? And uh, what he said was a few, don't judge them. You don't know their situation. You don't know the complexities of what went on. Number two, hang out with them. Hang in there with them. Number three, I said this a few times, don't give them pat answers. Actually, the, the woman I spoke to as well said one of the worst statements she got was, you'll find, you'll find another fish in the sea. Don't give them Christian nuggets. Number four, be a friend, just listen. Take them for a walk, he said. Take them out somewhere. Let them just, let them actually share what, how they're feeling. Number five, help them to rebuild their life with new friends, a new friendship network, often non-marrieds. And number six, help them to avoid sexual sin, especially with new people, whether it's in drinking, uh, social engagements. They're not ready for that. They're not ready to be remarried if they are going to choose that route at all. And he said, help them, help them to radically pursue discipleship. And lastly, I say, he, he also said, pray for them. Pray for them and pray with them uh, because that person needs care and needs to, needs to be reminded of God's promises to them as well. Well, why does Jesus reshape our marriage to such a high view? Ultimately, it's because of what marriage points toward. And he is a king who is going toward the cross on a mission to die for those who love, he loves. And at the end of chapter 10, he says that I've come to give my life as a ransom. Jesus is a husband to his bride, the church, the people of God, married, single, widowed, engaged, whatever state you find yourself in, marriage points forward to the deep intimacy and love where one day we will see him face to face and we can be confident that he will keep his promises. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we just pray and bring uh, this important, serious, weighty, complex, difficult, personal topic of marriage and divorce and remarriage before you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he loved his disciples. We thank you that he didn't shy away from the truth that he taught. And we pray that we would have ears that listen, that love the truth, that champion what you intend and what you love. And we pray that we would do that together as a fellowship of your people. 
Help us to be others-centered, to be servants in our marriages, to be servants toward one another. We pray for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Respond to what we've heard from God's word by asking him to take our lives, to help us live for him in our hearts and our actions. So please stand as we we offer our lives to, to Christ.